Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. And sitting around my table in my Star Wars room, we got the fan on this time. Is it a little bit cooler? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So sitting around the table, as always, is Dave Gladow and Alfredo Narvez. Say hi. Hello. And uh, of course, I'm Aaron. Yeah. So the yeah. There we go. So hello. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Actually, back to my first, like one of my first days in seventh in seventh grade, so middle school. um, Gym teacher said, "Do you pronounce it Swoboda or Swoboda?" I said, "I don't care." He said, "Just so long as nobody cusses at you, right?" Yeah, especially you, because he was the teacher that if he started yelling at one person in the class, everybody would be sobbing. That's just the way. This is the way it was, Mister Sell. When he would, and I learned from him to be successful, you have to be aggressive. Yeah, that's what we all learned from Mister Sell. But anyway, there we go. So uh, yeah, welcome back, Um, and we all hope you had a happy Valentine's Day. And uh, by the time you're listening to this episode, that has passed, and. But Mardi Gras is... Uh, we're knee-deep in it. We're knee-deep in it. So, yeah, um, this is not a live episode. Yeah. We're at the parade route. Yeah. Let's follow alert. We're on, the, we're on the uptown route. Yeah. So you can, you can find us. You can find us hanging out on St. Charles somewhere. But, uh, um, well, actually, two of us. Mm-hmm. Third is going elsewhere. And I'm not saying where because your kids might listen as you edit this. And it's a surprise for them. It's it is a surprise. So, so I appreciate that. Yeah. So I don't want I don't want to. Daddy's say going it. to a baseball game, kids. That's exactly. Right. We're going to a baseball. We're going game. to Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Delaware. Um, so anyway, yeah. Um, hope you've had a wonderful Mardi Gras season. And um, there's a probably just going to say there's probably going to be a week where there is no episode, um, just because Mardi Gras. It's called recuperation. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, there's logistics where, like I said, Dave's going to be out of town and Fredo and I are just going to be tired. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it's, uh, but yeah, well, unless something earth shattering happens with star Wars and we have to put together an episode, we'll figure it out, but we won't bother Dave while he's on vacation. I think after the break too, we'll probably at that point have a lot of Clone Wars under our belt, so we'll be able to. That's right. That's right. Because Clone Wars, uh, February 26th. Something like that. But the 24th, actually, February is going to be big because February 24th is when we learn what Project Luminous is. Yes. Exciting. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And yeah, Clone Wars is coming out. February 17th. 17th. So, oh, uh, goodness. Yep. That's it's where we're recording. Monday. That's next week. Monday. Okay. Hmm. Oh, man. Actually, they moved it back, didn't they? I think it's the 21st. Okay, so that'll be the Friday, which makes more sense. Well, that gets in the way then. But I have unlimited data. So as we're waiting, as as if floats break down, we can just watch an episode as we're standing. Exactly. That'd be really nerdy. We won't do that. No. Um, That's that's the great thing about Disney+. Plus. You can just watch stuff whenever. Um, Anything else you guys have watched on Disney+, Plus besides Star Wars junk? Mar- I mean, I was going to say Marvel junk and uh, National Geographic junk, mostly. <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's actually really good, um, some of those, some of the things they got on there. I haven't watched the Jeff Goldblum. There's part of me like really wants to watch the Jeff Goldblum stuff, but then there's part of me that doesn't for some reason. I don't know why that is, but it's just like... It's, it's kind of like a tamer Anthony Bourdain. So it's like I I have already watched Anthony Bourdain and no one will ever do it better than he did it. And so 
you know, if you know that going in and you keep your expectations in check, you can have some fun with it. It's okay. I guess he's done the New Orleans episode, though. That's That episode's dropped already, and I still haven't seen that one. we got to catch up to Okay. Yeah. I'll have to go watch that. So. I'll review it in a future episode. <laughs> there you go. Things he got wrong. Mm-hmm. Or things he got right. Because uh. he, he was here during decadence, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Mm. Which is an experience unto itself, if you've never done it. And in other Disney news, I think the first Disney cruise line sailing out of New Orleans just left, I think, last week. I think it was February 4th. Mm-hmm. And of course, okay. there's a there's a um, thing I watch on YouTube. It's uh, the Diz Unplugged. And it's this uh, travel company that's their video cast. And they're talking about Disney news and stuff like that. So it's really fun to watch. They They get nerded out over Disney like we get nerded out over Star Wars. Anyway, um, they were talking about the, uh, you know, leaving out of New Orleans, the the cruise line. And actually, there's one guy on the episode who I think is from New Orleans. I mean, they come to Mardi Gras all the time. And um, he's and but anyway, he was like, I and so they're talking about how they haven't been selling those um, cruise packages very well. Really? There's only a few that are happening in 2020. But they said that the sales have not been that great. And this guy was like, well, you know, if they're having a cruise go out during carnival, it's like <laughs> the hotels, if you're getting a hotel bookending your cruise, I mean, that's just going to be, you're going to be staying out, you know, on, you know, someplace you probably don't want to be staying. You're not going to be staying down the quarter. And it's going to break your budget. Because if it was leaving February 4th, um, that was. That was just a week that ago. Was, Chewbacca's, right? That was that was the was, Tuesday after uh, Chewbacca's, yes. Yeah. So, so right before we got into Crudevu. You know, it's like I I just think the scheduling is probably and I don't know. It yeah, seems kind of goofy. It's a little weird. So um But do you guys have any interest in doing it? You know, a cruise has always been never been on Britney's and my bucket list, um, until we found out how rather inexpensive they can be. Yeah. And a Disney cruise, not so much, but I mean, just a regular cruise. So we're like, eh, maybe, but then I'm like, I don't know, because I, I, I still, I take Dramamine when I go to a theme park because I can get motion sickness. And if I get motion sickness, I'm like a miserable wreck for the day. So being on a boat, I don't know. I used to, back when I was in, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say back when I was in grad school, I uh, worked in the cruise in cruise ships, uh, putting people on and board off uh, right here at the Port of New Orleans. So I know that I can stand walking around because they're pretty big. Unless unless you're standing, staring at the ocean, you rarely do feel, I mean, unless it's a really bad storm. So, but, but I was going to say, uh, that having said that, it's not like I'm running to be in a cruise ship uh, for my own fun. Because, you know, you're kind of trapped in, you know, you're in stuck in with the people that you're there. I would I would say I'd have to buy the, the alcohol package probably, you know. <laughs> but, oh, no, no, no. That's, um, that's where they make all their money is the alcohol. Uh, but, um, no, I was going to say, you know, <laughs> this is actually Star Wars related. When Last time we were in Ireland, um, we went out to Skellig Michael um, where they, you know, filmed Octo and everything. Like, we didn't get on the island, but they, you know, boat took you out there. It's 12 miles out into the Atlantic. And, um, so I took Dramamine an hour before we went and then right as we're stepping on the boat. So the ride out was just fine. It was like a nice little roller coaster. I mean, cause it was a choppy stormy day 
and we're going all up and down, up and down, up and down. I remember going out there going, man, I understand why people way, way back in the day were thinking that you're going to fall off the edge of the earth or, you know, there's some huge monster that's going to eat you because I mean, like I said, you can't see Ireland. You can't see Skellig Michael. We're on this little ship smaller than the minnow, you know, with about <laughs> 10 of us and just floating out in the middle of the Atlantic. And so we get out to Skellig Michael and again, I'm fine. No motion sickness whatsoever. And then I made the mistake. I get my camera and I made the mistake of looking down at the camera and then looking up at the Island and it was like everything just wore off and I was drunk as a 21 year old, you know, at <laughs> midnight. It was just like, I was like, oh, ooh. I, I can't believe my pictures actually turned out well because it was just like, oh God, don't throw up, don't throw up. Snap, 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 snap. Oh, don't throw up. Hey, there are puffins over there. Really? Snap, 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 snap. You know? <laughs> and then the whole way back, everybody on the boat was pretty much just going, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up. And then we got, we got back, didn't throw up, went straight to the pub, had a Guinness and I was fine. So, um, but yeah, so I don't know if I'd want to do a Disney cruise, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. just for that reason. Um, but, uh, you know, I've heard the flu and the norovirus. Cor- cor- norovirus. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, there's a lot out there right now that making people. What about the star Wars, um, hotel it's- that is being built at, um, Disney, Disney world. world. You heard about that? The immersive one? The immersive one. It's like a two-day stay that I've heard astronomical numbers for what this is. Um, It's going to be very few people that are going to be on that. Everybody, like, checks in at the same... It's like a cruise. Everybody checks in at the same time, leaves at the same time, and you become... It's like a story. um, And you get to go on an excursion to Batuu, apparently, you know. So, what do you think about that? Would you do that? I think if I had more money in my wallet, I certainly would. <laughs> that appeals more because uh, you're on solid ground. But uh, I don't know if I'd f- I'd feel like I was in Star Wars prison or something. I mean, if you're at Disney, <laughs> if you're at Disney World and you gotta get locked in a, you know, and and, and I guess I guess be. also being a member of the 501st, it's like if I want an immersive experience. I mean, I'm I'm around people with you know screen accurate, you know costumes all the time you know it's like so the fact that i'm in a starship and i get a wave of lightsaber around i mean yeah it'd be kind of fun but i think there's other ways i could spend my money and probably be entertained yeah i think it's it's as a concept as an idea is interesting execution is everything and i wonder you know can you suspend your disbelief long enough for you to go no i'm not in the middle of florida no it's not 95 degrees and i'm wearing a costume now, yeah. I, I, if I ever do, I will be the guy walking around going to little kids going, you want to buy some death sticks? <laughs> that's very creepy of you, sir. Yeah, exactly. As a man with children, well, you're upset and that's, and that's actually the dumbest thing that anybody ever, you know, you, he's selling cigarettes and they call them death that's, sticks. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's what we're saying in the previous so, episode. They're about, edgy. Yeah, so be, about be, Lucas before, writing. and then again, you know, the, uh, also the name of that character before we do any trivia, mm-hmm. anybody remember what the name of that character was? 
Okay, there's something Sleezo, wasn't it? It was Sleazo. like Ilian Sleezbagano. Okay. So he's a Sleezbag. Sleezbagano, yeah. And he's selling death sticks. You want to buy some death sticks? You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. No, if I'm ever going to be in that thing, I want to be Dexter Jester. I want to be the, the cook. You know, actually the place I want to go is in L.A., um, which is the scum and villainy can- cantina. I think we talked mm-hmm. about that once before. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go. There. And um, actually, Brittany and I are going to Disney in um, May. And I'm really look- obviously looking forward to the Galaxy's Edge stuff. I'm looking forward to the uh, Olga's Cantina. You know, so that'd be kind of finally fun. found out about the flight. I didn't realize, yeah, the flight, The even though it looks like crappy beer, but the Rancor teeth glasses, I didn't realize that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really expensive, but you get to keep the glasses. Yes, good thing I teach music lessons. That's my <laughs> my waste and money money. So, all right, well, it's time for trivia. We're sounding like Peter Griffin, Okay, Dave, you start and just and I'll do Fredo. Go ahead. You, want, you want to phrase that differently? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> McClunky. <laughs> McClunky. All right. So, who is the first rebel to verbalize that the Falcon's escape from the Death Star was too easy? Okay, I'm going to give everybody a moment because the answer should be too easy. Princess Leia. Correct. Yes. And I don't know if we had that one. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm, I'm self-questioning. Hopefully, we didn't have that one before. No, but it's but it's yeah. it's it's the kind of thing where you go like, no, you th- if you think they realize the line, you're like, there's only one person in that ship who knows what's going on, yeah. and it's neither Han or Luke or Chewie. So, okay, Aaron, uh, what two warriors does Yoda thank for helping him escape from the clone troopers? We talked about. These two in the last episode, and uh, in a very ET moment, he was thanking Tarful mm-hmm. and Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. That is correct. And I don't think Chewbacca had any reason to be in that movie whatsoever. Well, could have just had a just could have had a planet full of Wookies. Didn't need Chewbacca because otherwise, I mean, the thing that bothers me about that is like then we you know Chewbacca. No, Chewbacca and R2 could go write a book. Mm-hmm. They know everything. <laughs> if Chewbacca that. was fighting with Yoda and everything like that. Um, so anyway. No, just think, because I was uh, rewatching the last episodes of Clone Wars with Yoda. Just think about R2 t- telling Luke about the planets that he took Yoda on on his way to discover how to live beyond the Force. He could tell them everything about where they want to. Never does. He could have recorded all that junk and just played it for him. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. All right, Dave. Who pretends he can't hear an Imperial officer's transmissions when disguised as a stormtrooper? Now I'm, I'm, I'm questioning myself. You know, when Could I be, first read that, yeah. I was the same way. Yeah, I was like, I, th- I know that. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, Han Solo? It's actually Luke. 
Okay, so... Because Han and Chewie come blasting in, and then Luke comes in and shuts the door and said, you know, with him howling and you blasting everything in sight. So Han was the first one in the door when Luke was, you know, tapping at his helmet. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So... So, there you go. That's all right. It's all right. We're two beers in, and, you know... Um, so, there you I go. could have gone either way. Right. I thought, to be honest, it was Han as well. But thinking about the scene now, yeah, it makes sense. So... Well, all right. So, um, in uh, previous uh, episodes, we're you know we we've been talking about um, the rise of Skywalker and everybody, you know, just saying how awful it was, and neither none of us think it was awful. You know, we have our gripes with it. We enjoyed it, um, but I think you know where we're gonna what we're gonna talk about tonight is uh, um, really uh, just mainly about a new hope and how everybody puts that up on this pedestal and that in, in empire is even a higher pedestal, I think. Right. And I think we could even have an episode of, you know, that one, how, I mean, if a new hope was released today, how, how people would react to it because it right. was almost, it was almost a huge mess. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think if you look at it objectively, I think, first of all, you can you can say a lot of good things about it, but you can be really critical of a lot of that movie. And I think what we were, we're just going to talk about is going to be kind of a loosey-goosey conversation. But, you know, you know, we've we've all watched uh, Empire Dreams, you know, and we've all watched other documentaries where it's like, you know, George Lucas almost has a heart attack and is like, you know, um, you know, because this this whole movie was a mess up until it was released. Nobody was expecting this to be a thing. Um, but what were those things that almost made it a mess? And then I think what are things that made it to the final cut that just, if you look at it objectively, aren't that, you know, aren't that stellar? Well, I would like to start with the idea of ambition um, and by the way, I just want to say this yeah. is all this, the purpose of this whole thing is not to run down a new hope, but <laughs> yeah, I think it, I it's, uh, it's yeah. just, it's just to give everybody, let's all have some perspective here. Yeah. You there's know? a lot of dissatisfaction, not with just the latest movie, but with the entire Disney era, with the prequels, with a lot of star Wars content in general, when people get, um, they get married to this idea of their own perfect star Wars. And, and for a lot of people, it's a new hope. Um, but a new hope was, like you said, very nearly a catastrophe. Um, and I, I think, well, and here I'll also say yeah. that here we are, you know, two days away from, from Valentine's day and everybody remembers their first kiss. But if you look at it objectively, it was a bad kiss. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, so just, just saying everybody, you know, um, so like I said, just, this is just about, let's just have some perspective and let's remember that it's kind of like the whole Jar Jar Binks thing, you know, and I keep talking about our friend Scott that he was like, Jar Jar Binks, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you know, C-3PO was, if you're 40 years old looking at C-3PO, he's kind of annoying. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good point, you know. Now, granted, he didn't step in Bantha poodoo or anything, you know, but um, so again, let's have some perspective. So go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. I'll shut up now. No, you're great. I, I think like the point that I wanted to make right off the front of the discussion was just that this was a very ambitious film um and i think everybody knows like what kind of a game changer it was 
Um, but it was because he was trying to do so much with it. Um, and I'll just, I'll run very quickly through what I see as being major themes and major inspirations from this film that he, that Lucas was trying to, uh, incorporate, um, start with Kurosawa. Um, he has directly referenced that many times with the bickering peasants that become bickering droids in George Lucas's version. Um, a lot of scenes pulled direct inspiration from World War II epics, um, particularly the dogfighting scenes, um, but mostly classic westerns. So um, the space western motif is basically born here. Um, and of course, it's been copied so many times ever since from Firefly to Star Trek to The Mandalorian. Um, he loved the cheesy sci-fi serials, right? Um, the Flash Gordon. Um, there's huge elements of that stuff here. Um, what's really interesting is that if you look at it, um, if you try to evaluate the film based on what its messaging is, and it's a lot of it is anti-war, and it was anti-Vietnam War specifically, um, that stuff belies <laughs> Flash Gordon's silly space nonsense belies those serious themes um you have the re biggest huge repeating narrative beat that that appears in basically all the star wars trilogies which is the hero's journey which comes from joseph campbell's writings um hero of a thousand faces hero's journey um how all of our legends basically come from the same place and mirror one another um and so this, this familiar structure repeats itself over and over and over again. And so the fact that he was able to tap into that structure and insert it into this movie is kind of what would end up making the movie resonate along with some other factors. But my diatribe here is, is essentially just saying this is all a genius brew of influences and ambitious undertaking um and trying to make all of this stuff fit into well, and one it, movie and it's a moonshot yeah i mean it's it's kennedy saying we're going to get to the moon by the end of the decade and nasa going we have no idea how we're going to do this well uh, i mean yep. sorry uh, i keep keep right. going no, i was just going to say you've read the original first draft of star wars right yeah where it's anakin star killer and the journey of the wills and all the elements are in there but they're different and they look different and they sound different and i think one of the first things that george lucas recognized when he was making this movie is my initial idea was too ambitious mm -hmm. which is one of the things that he almost had to go back and start slicing that's why we start on episode four right because his script was so massive had so many characters had battles beforehand had he had to rewrite everything just to make it fit what he could do in 1976. So if you want to make a list of things that went wrong in this movie, that's the very first thing. His script was way too ambitious and huge. Um, and he had to slice the thing down into a more manageable piece. Because originally his plan, his original desire was to get the rights to Flash Gordon. He couldn't. His original plan was to make a Flash Gordon modern adaptation. But uh, he got, uh, uh, well, and that's the thing. He got beat by Dino De Laurentiis, or uh, you know, for the rights. So 
Therefore, he couldn't make Flash Gordon. So he had been writing all these ideas and pouring them into paper. So he just, all right, I'll make that because he had no other alternative. Well, you know, so some I want to draw some, you know, kind of one of one of the interesting uh, kind of links between Rise of Skywalker and um, A New Hope was, you know, people have been were really critical of J.J. Abrams and and everybody on the Rise of Skywalker because they uh, they were crunched for time. They were editing you know, on, on the scene, on, on set, you know, they, they had to do editing really quick and the editing for a new hope was a mess. It's like, so basically again, this episode is kind of like, let's imagine if the internet existed, mm-hmm. you know, the way it does, you know, now what people would be like lamb blasting them for because Lucas fires an editor, you know, and puts himself in there. and then actually his wife. Right. Marshall, and, right. and, you know, so it's, so that, if, again, if that would have leaked out at the time, <laughs> what is this person well, doing? And let's, I mean, let's start back from after script. He takes, I mean, he's made THX 1138, which is a minor hit. He makes American Graffiti, which is a hit. And then he brings Star Wars, the script, and he starts pitching it around to every studio. And I think it does the rounds like twice and nobody wants to touch it. Because back then, uh, science fiction movies of this caliber considered b-movie junk they're like you make them in cheap sets you make it with the worst kind of actors you can get not the worst kind of actors but less quality actors you make it you know kind of you know on the fly with no budget and it looks and sounds that way i mean the high watermark for science fiction pre-star wars is either 2001 which was stanley kubrick or planet of the apes which by then had run its course. So and and so let's talk again. Again, another kind of corollary uh, sure. um, is people criticize, you know, the uh, the cast of you know the sequel trilogy. Well, let's remember that a new hope could have been, and actually, Empire Strikes Back. Let's fast forward a little bit. The I love you, I know, could have been between Kurt Russell and uh surely from laverne and shirley mm-hmm. you know what cindy i can't remember her name anymore but anyway mm-hmm. um so i mean there he casted nobodies and again if the internet would have been alive at that time people would have been who are these people i mean, I mean the studios did not like the fact that he was you know casting nobody because i think for a while it could i mean it could have very well have been christopher walken and jodie foster christopher walken and jodie foster yeah, yeah. going i love you i know I love you. No. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's know. like, I'm trying to tell you, the whole planet is totally blown away. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the cadence. <laughs> we, we, we could, uh, these are things we could have had. Now, on the other hand, I'll say he originally wrote Obi-Wan for Toshiro Mifune, the famed Japanese actor who's in all of Kurosawa's films. Mm-hmm. That's who he wanted. No, Jojimbo, Sanjuro, Seven Samurai. This is, he's the guy who. Uh, inspired Obi-Wan Kenobi. But unfortunately for him at the time, he was working on, I want to say he was making, he was either making a Kurosawa movie, he might have been making Shogun, I don't know. He was making some other projects so he couldn't get them. So a lot of times there's synergy and there's luck because he wouldn't have gotten Alec Guinness. And I, I think that's an interesting other point. And sorry, this this whole podcast is just going to be, again, three guys sitting around drinking a beer talking about, you know, um, Star Wars. Is there we don't have any paper in front of us on this one. So sorry if we're jumping around a bunch. Mm-hmm. 
too bad, so sad, I suppose. But that, I mean, that, that, that is the other thing, that synergy. I think about, you know, what is it about, I'm going to go into my, basically when I was a music teacher, and I think about, you know, Vienna in the um, about 17th, 18th century. Mm-hmm. What is it about that place that Mozart, Beethoven, you know, you name the composers that for some reason were in Vienna, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, we could even say the same thing about New Orleans. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, Fitzgerald and um, Armstrong, Armstrong you know, just, you know, the writers, the musicians, what is it about? It's like there's some sort of cosmic pull. The thing people also have to put into perspective, I think um, the sequel trilogy, everybody's been waiting for that a new, and even the prequel trilogy, they're mm-hmm. waiting for that a new hope moment. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, is that was a pivotal moment in cinema history. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about the Star Destroyer flying overhead, that first shot. I mean, because nobody's ever seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm. When was the last time in a movie that people have been coming home saying, I haven't seen anything like that before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jurassic Jurassic Park, maybe? Yeah, I mean, Avatar, you know, with the 3D stuff, right? Um but I mean, yeah, it those don't, those movies don't come along very often at all. So I mean, it is. It's like it's like comparing, you know, with all due respect to anybody here, it's like comparing the Cleveland Browns to the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there it, it's like one is on such a. I mean, yeah, they're because, miles uh, apart, and and we got to consider that Lucas is part of a group of young directors coming out of the post-60s Hollywood, you know, kind of vanguard. Uh, he saw the same group as Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, John Milius, uh, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. And he's considered the kooky one of the bunch, the one that's out there. And you look at, I mean, Coppola makes The Godfather, Spielberg's making Jaws, uh, Scorsese's making Mean Street, and here's George Lucas after making American Graffiti. And his sense is making not to make... a space movie. Right, his sense is not to make either a war movie like Apocalypse Now or to do something else, his sense is, I'll make this trippy uh, space movie full of space wizards and weird creatures and knights, and I'm going to fill it with all this stuff. And, you know, anybody hearing that pitch must have gone, this is nuts. What are you talking about, man? That was a bigger risk than what his peers were doing. Well, and and the big deal was that, I mean, he, I mean, we, they created special effects. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. say they innovated. It was like they created, you know, special effects. I mean, and that's how cool would that be to go back in time and just watch ILM work? And I, you know, I saw it when I worked with with Google, you know, on a, a little bit. And just seeing these people that, you know, that's when you like really get humbled. Like, okay, I've got a master's degree, and I'm a, I'm a fairly smart guy, but good lord, there's some smart people out there. And you just get so amazed by just the people who can, if you give an idea and they go, all right, give me some time. And we'll, because they had to make something out of nothing. And the thing was that those special effects really didn't, nothing was there until, you know. Until, I mean, they had to invent ILM. They had to invent Skywalker Sam. But, but, but invent- ILM sat there and kind of just played around for a while. Right. They played with George Lucas's money and everything but, and just, de- they, yeah, they had to develop the technology, right. but it really was kind of this, 
hey, wow, this is cool. We can do this. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, crap, we need to make this movie, guys. They were way behind so schedule. it was almost, I mean, this movie was almost dead. And, um, and actually, I can be kind of critical. I mean, as good as the special effects were, it's like that dogfight scene. Right. The TIE fighters are, I mean, the stiff. They're just moving so slowly. It's kind of the best thing in the Family Guy um, uh, Star Wars episode was. That's your big move. You move list. You listly uh, move listly lazy to the left. It's, he's moving to the left. He's moving to the left. You know, it's, things move so slow. But then when you get to Jedi, you know, it's like the Tie Fighters are flying all around mm-hmm. fast and everything. But again, you know, and that's only seven years difference. Right, seventy-seven. No, six so it, it it shows that they were you know, okay. This is the best we could do right now. They were in their infancy, yeah. and and there were a lot of the scenes that didn't live up to what George wanted. Um, Jabba. <laughs> well, the cantina. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I, you know, I'll I'll just say that like, even with that, and even with the fact that this was all like brand new, and they struggled so mightily to get it to a point where it's presentable they can put something on screen and ask people to pay money to, to watch it um some of those scenes were still just incredible i will i will say the however, star destroyer that you referenced i mean i will say however though that and the thing that saves that movie is the decision to have john williams compose the score and for George Lucas to say, I want something like Wagner. If you score that movie any other way, I think it is hokey and it bombs. Terribly. Like 70s strippy disco music. Sure. Or just, or, you know, we need something suspenseful, you know, mm-hmm. but when he, but to say, I want something Wagnerian space opera, you know, that's like, and actually I don't think John Williams has composed, you know, an entire movie. You can say songs like people really like Duel of the Fates. People really like Across the Stars. But as a full movie, like if you were to put on, and granted, it's yes, I've listened to it a gazillion times. But if you were to like drop the needle on the soundtrack for A New Hope or Empire, actually, just let's just do A New Hope. I can tell you exactly what's going on mm-hmm. at that point in the movie. If you do that in Attack of the Clones, uh, guess. I'm guessing. You know, and actually, John Williams has said as much. He said, you know, it's like, you know, since the original trilogy, it's like nothing's really been too. So, but I think it's also a question of the way that George changed his shooting. Whereas before he knew he was working with a whole movie, the technology advantages that Lucas had in the, making the prequels allowed him to keep slicing and dicing the scenes. So, therefore, he was able to slice and dice the score because. All of a sudden, that musical cue doesn't hit because the scene has shifted just half a second. But let's but let's take it to let's imagine if the internet was um, you know it, the internet was what it is now, and it's like Star Wars has a symphonic score. People would be like, "What is this? What movie?" Is people this would people? people would have. I mean, you can just hear people yelling about you know <laughs> you know why was, do was, I need to listen to Wagner? You know, it's like I want you know. I want the theme from Shaft. You know, I want, you know. Where's the hit single from uh, the Bee Gees? So, you know. There um, were a lot of choices that they made that were the right choices. And they were the only choices that would have made it work 
when you talk about John Williams being one of those choices, like if they had gone in any other direction with the music, I think you're right. It would have been a mess. But I think I was going to say they got lucky because a lot of the guys, a lot of the people who worked on this movie were young and hungry and they got them just at the right time. Think of somebody like the designs of Ralph McQuarrie. He creates Darth Vader before Darth Vader exists. And the, the iconic image is because in the original script, there's a moment where Darth Vader is supposed to go from one Star Destroyer across space to another. That's why there's a breathing apparatus and a mask on him. And the moment George saw him, he's like, I don't care what it's for. I'm keeping that design. So all the designs that Ralph McQuarrie creates, R2, 3PO, uh, the Cantina, the Death Star, Vader, if you don't have that mind you know, creating all of that, Star Wars doesn't look the same. Think of somebody like Ben Burt, the sound designer. He's the guy who comes up with the hum of the lightsaber that's so iconic now. He's the one who thinks, well, it's a breathing mask. How would he, how would Darth Vader sound with this breathing mask on? And now you hear that breathing and you know who we're talking about. So a lot of times it's that dynamic of getting guys like John Williams, like Ralph McQuarrie, at just the perfect moment. It's a, it's a, like I was saying, synergy of good choices. Well, it's it's also a, uh, you know, again, the difference in the culture we live in where mm-hmm. now everybody's, you know, ready to, you know, leak whatever information they have to the reporter that they know, um, you know, and by all accounts, the people who were on the set in England were like, what is this garbage? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, really, every day they were like, what? What is this we're doing? It's a what? You know, and they they probably went back. They just went to the pub and had me believe what we just saw today, and then they just left at that. If the internet would have existed at that point, it would have there would have been sites going. This is a mess. This is you know garbage. You know, yeah. Alan Ladd took a took a gamble, and this is gonna backfire on his face. That right. kind of thing, because that's what it was. No, you. I mean, the famous story of the sets in London was that. Uh, so Carrie Fisher had to wear that that famous white dress. And because they didn't have bras in space, according to her, they had to use gaffer tape on her. McClunky. And there was a thing where every day. Her McClunky. Yeah, well, <laughs> th- I'm using the biological term. But every day at the end of the shoot, one set guy would come in and rip that off. <laughs> and it's like, and, of, and she was game for it. And of course, I mean, can you imagine that leaking out today? People would be freaking out. But yeah, but there was always every different day when she was finished doing, some guy would just go and go, oh, there we go. The uh, You go back to the casting for a second, though, with Carrie mm-hmm. Fisher. I mean, she was perfectly cast. Right. And I remember in an interview that one of the things that she did upon reflection was, was, was say that they were cast to type. Um, she was Hollywood royalty. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Harrison was kind of the bad boy, the older, wisecracking bad boy. The and, carpenter for George, who's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I act on the side. And, yeah, yeah, and and, and uh, Mark Hamill was the wide-eyed optimist. And, you know, it's like they nailed it. Mm-hmm. Like, he nailed it. And, again, if you had any of those actors just not bought in and not doing their job, the, the film would have suffered again. I was just sort of thinking back. There's a couple of interviews that Mark Hamill did around the time of Last Jedi where he indicated, yeah, back then he had this script just laying on his coffee table. 
his roommate's like, what are you working on? He just tells him the script. The guy's read it. It's like, yeah, this is the goofiest thing ever. And Mark's like, I know, but we're doing it. So uh, there was never a sense. I mean, now when he got his lines, it's like under, you know, you need like federal protection. If you're going to be given a script that says Star Wars on it back then, you know, could you imagine just walking to somebody's house and go, oh, Star Wars and just leaking onto the internet? We were talking about in an earlier episode about how, like, a lot of these movies seem to be set in the desert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just keeps happening. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about the motif and why thematically that makes sense. But um, it's not easy to film in the mm-hmm. desert either. Well, and, and that's, yeah. That's there was another, a comedy of errors. That's, that's another reason why and this movie almost was a disaster because they had a huge storm which ironically happened in episode one as well. Mm -hmm. Things were destroyed, um, you know, and trying to get mechanical R2-D2 to do things, you know, um, it it was a mess. And again, imagine if TMZ was, you know, on the scene, scene, you know, with their pictures of all this crap that was going on. Um, But uh, you really... You had, it seems like the making of this movie, you had a lot of people who had a lot of good ideas, but had no idea of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Or in way, 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 way over their heads. George was over his head. I mean, admittedly, he he mm-hmm. would admit as much, yeah. you know. Um, but... Uh, That's why he took that break when the movie was supposed to come out. He said, I don't even want to be anywhere near a TV or a telephone. And so he goes to the beach. And so here's the thing to, again, to bring perspective to people who are ready to, you know, burn the rise of Skywalker and effigy. It's like, imagine, um, how you would feel. Imagine, I guess, imagine if, if episode four was released with the fan base that, that star Wars has today and the expectations, I mean, they already, the only stress they had was that they had a movie studio going, you're wasting our money. Which, you um, know, now if you put not millions, but billions of people, you know, I mean. So just to tell you, because I, I read an article recently about one of the uh, executives at Fox who helped promote Star Wars, helped, came up with the idea of releasing a Memorial Day and why. According to the this Variety, or Hollywood Report, I'm sorry, uh, they're profiling uh, this uh, former Fox executive called Ashley Boone. They say Star Wars had to sell $32 million of tickets for Fox to recoup its money. That'd be today's money, about $135 million. They had only secured from the, as a guarantee from the movie theaters, $1.5 million. So they're already staring at a $30 million hole in their pocket, you know, in Fox's budget. And uh, so his idea was, well, Schools don't really let out until June. Let me release this movie Memorial Day weekend. All the kids will see it. They'll go back to school raving about it. And then they'll bring all their friends in. And sure enough, that's what he does. It's like, you know, and uh, they apparently had a test screening May 1st. And they're like in San Francisco. And, you know, they're all the Fox guys all sitting in the back and they have no idea what's going to happen. I've actually seen something similar to that where they like, I can't remember who said it. They're like, they went to school the next day. said, I saw this thing. I can't even describe. I can't even begin to explain what I saw, but it was awesome. They said that the moment that the Millennium Falcon shoots across the screen, 
in the climax of the movie well, and everybody shoot. stands up and screams and shoots and, shoots is a is a really liberal term yeah, there yeah, no, it, it lazily lists the flies exactly slowly. it meanders into the death star but basically you know by the time that shot happens everybody everybody in the audience is on their feet screaming and just enjoy and he says all these fox guys are just hugging each other going like okay finally they can breathe a sigh of relief that they're not gonna. Then they didn't just blow all this money, and it's gonna, you know, kill them all. So, so what you're saying is, if they release that in June, it probably. It, who knows? It doesn't. Maybe it doesn't find its audience. Yeah. You know, the, you have to have. I mean, and that's just it. It's again, it's that convergence of talented people making right choices in the right moment for it all to come together. So, so again, I, I keep putting this in the perspective of what if the internet was, you know, mm-hmm. around, you know, like it was, um, what things would people be going after, you know, with this movie that gets released? Um, I think direction, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I mean, George uh, Lucas, I, I mean, George, we said it in a previous episode, George Lucas is a great story creator, but he's kind of an awful director and kind the of shifting a, in accents of Carrie Fisher, something like that. Cause she goes from really regal English to, uh, her normal American accent. There are a lot of goofs that ended up on camera too. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're honest, the, the stormtrooper hitting his head <laughs> on the door, which, They've embraced over the years, mm-hmm. which I really enjoy. They added the sound effect, I think, in yeah, one of the special thunk. editions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of little moments like that. If you're paying attention, you see. Um, there's one scene around the conference table where Vader and Tarkin are exchanging dialogue. And yeah. you can tell they redubbed that because Vader's like gesturing. Well, he, get, he gets done line. talking and then he's pointing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah after his um, lines have ended. You know, and like... actually the special edition erased, um, there was like a crew person um, who was caught in the doorway of the Millennium Falcon when they were taking off and you saw them going, oops. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, a sound guy or something. He was like scooting across the doorway. They've cut that out since. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, it was very close to a B movie, mm-hmm. you know? I mean... Um, but I think and that's part of the dynamic is that it coming together in the editing room. Imagine if they had left stuff like Tashi Station in in that movie, how much different people would have felt about it because that would have felt far more it, of its time. It would, it would have been more of a Kevin Smith movie. There would have yeah, just exactly. been a lot of sitting and talking. Um, so do you think... Do you think the special effects um, elevated this movie? If, if it wasn't for the special effects, let's say you had the special effects of two thousand one, which were fine, but Blurred. they weren't. But they weren't. You know, it wasn't what we had in New Hope. But let's say you had two thousand one special effects. Um, do you think a New Hope is as or do you, do you think those oopsies and the bad direction and the bad dialogue is as forgiven as it is now? Because I think a lot of it is forgiven because of we've never seen a Star Destroyer like that. We've never mm-hmm. seen a Millennium Falcon. We've never seen TIE Fighters. We've never seen the, the Death Star or the Wookiee. Yeah. I mean, do you think some of the some of the oopsies get a pass because of the special effects? Not, not strictly because of the special effects, but that's one of the factors that, that really is... is a huge thing 
and it really elevates things. And we talked about John Williams. That elevates things. Mm-hmm. I think the casting elevates things because the actors essentially just all fit perfectly into those roles. Which that's another thing. If they don't bring James Earl Jones to do Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. We said it in a previous episode. That character is not menacing. Comical. If if people have not heard the original sound of um, David, David Prowse doing mm-hmm. Vader, you need to go find that because he sounds like Dark Helmet. <laughs> he sounds like Dark Helmet. Well, he sounds kind of like Fat Bastard doing Dark Helmet, you know, because... Looking kinda, like Darth yeah. Vader. Start tearing this ship apart piece by piece until you find those tapes. Find the passengers of this vessel. I want them alive! Yeah, mm-hmm. it's... It, yeah, I mean, that was a big thing. They... um. Chewie, they had to figure out his voice. They had to figure out the droids' voices. Yeah, because Chewbacca, I mean, he just spoke his lines. He's like, that old man is mad. <laughs> that's a, I mean, that's a if, funny line. Too. Yeah, if yeah. you have this English if you have this English accent in the dog you know, costume, in the Bigfoot costume, it's like, that old man is mad. That, no, I mean, yeah, it would not work. It's hilarious to watch. Because you've met, you met Peter Mayhew. Yeah. Can you imagine Peter Mayhew's voice coming out of Chewie? Well, no. I mean, <laughs> how would that be? Yeah, exactly. Actually, actually, kind of yes. I mean, it's. <laughs> but but exactly, it does. It it stops your brain and distracts from when you go. Oh, wait, let me put those two together. It does. It doesn't feel the same. <laughs> but yeah, they couldn't figure out the droids either. Um, mm. It took them a while for Ben Burt to figure out R 2s voice and for them to settle on Daniels as actually being Cause, perfect for three PO. Because I thought originally three PO was supposed to be like a used car salesman. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't supposed to be uh, kind of this effete, formal British butler. He was supposed yeah. to be fast talking. I think I think what we're getting to again is that all it seems like all of these decisions are kind of oh crap moments. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's not like that somebody sat down and, okay, this is what all these things are going to be. This is the way all this is going to work. It, it was a fly by the seat of your pants production, you know? And, um, so it, so, I mean, so, so again, I'm going to go back to thank your lucky stars internet world that JJ Abrams actually sat down and thought, how do all these things, how do I make all these things link together? And that the thought that was put into the rise of Skywalker, you know, given the fact that, okay, I don't have Snoke anymore. All right. We'll use, we'll use the emperor, you know, and we need to have this callback. We need to, you know, link. So I, I just think there was, and not to say that there wasn't the thought put into a new hope, but a lot of it was reactive rather than proactive. And we got to recognize that. I mean, as we're saying, this was not an adaptation. This was not taking somebody else. They're drawing inspiration from a bunch of different places, but they're having to create it. And having to create it from scratch is a lot different than, oh, you're going to make a continuation, or you're going to make an adaptation, or you're going to just make a sequel. You have to think about all these decisions. How does Chewbacca sound? How does Thrupia sound? You know, how does a lightsaber hum? You know, so you, all these okay. dynamics. You know, you know what? One of my one of my nits that I have give, of this sequel trilogy is that Chewbacca has no new sounds. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you just made some Chewbacca noises there. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's it's like they just went Chewbacca sound number one, Chewbacca sound number two. It's like you know he. You didn't gain new new language skills. No, no. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's just a nit. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like you can. 
anytime Chewbacca does anything, you can say, okay, that's from, they took that sound clip from Empire. They took that sound clip from Jedi, you know, whatever. I think two of the challenges of this movie and A New Hope that we've kind of identified were the challenge of the schedule and just the frenetic pace of it. Like, oh, McClunky, we have no time to get this movie put together. We have to just do it. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to wager that studio interference was a problem as well. Um, I don't think that we have anything confirmed on that, but um, that was a major issue back with A New Hope too, mm-hmm. which I the, the, the one anecdote that I always go back to and I love so much was, was Mark Hamill talking about um, Chewbacca and it's like, couldn't he wear some later hosen? Yeah. And, <laughs> Not wearing pants. Yeah. The Wookiee has no pants. And I just, I love that anecdote so much because it just, it illustrates this restrictive thinking that comes down from the studio that says, no, you you have to do things a certain way. And, and, and these are the decisions that must be made. And constantly having to fight that off but well, I think I was going to say part of the dynamic for them when they were making A New Hope was they ran out of money. They had to, yeah. they, they only got like 16 to 20 million initially. They had to go back and beg for the last 10 million to finish the movie. And at that point, the studio's like, okay, well, show us what you got. And that's when, wait a minute, that thing's where I got no pants. What is it? That's when panic sets in at the studio and they're throwing all these notes at Lucas saying, what the heck have you done? We have no idea what, what this is and you want us to pour even more money into it but somehow I mean he convinces them to do that but it's that idea of now they're getting more actively involved in making your little independent sci-fi film before they're like here's your money go away now they're like well, what are you doing what, are you do- what have you done with our money and how are you going to mess, mess this up so and here's another thing to think about as well because you had Alan Ladd who was mm-hmm. um, like in had George Lucas's back, Mm -hmm. you know, if a new hope was being made today, George Lucas is fired and Steven Spielberg is brought in to finish the movie, Mm -hmm. you know, because, because you, you had, I mean, you had, um, an executive who was, you know, behind this person and, you know, and I think that is a, a kind of a fair criticism of Lucasfilm and Disney right now is that they get they get scared and they fire. That's what it seems. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it seems like because okay, this isn't going the way we thought it was going to, and then okay, we got to fire him and bring in the safe person. And if again, if they didn't have Alan Ladd behind George Lucas, you know, we would have had something different. totally different. But that faith was justified. Mm-hmm. Um, and you. And the, my question would be, were, was the studio, was Disney justified in making those changes? Because would any of those movies have been better if they hadn't had made changes? And I don't well, know. We're, not, we're never going to see the cut of you know Rogue, Rogue One. One. We're never going to see the cut of right. Solo. Um, Solo. Yeah, we're never going to, you know, we're never going to see the We've seen right. the script, you know, from Rise of Skywalker, but mm-hmm. um, I just think every decision thus far has been defensible. But mm-hmm. again, your point is well taken that 
George wouldn't have been able to finish no. that movie. No. And then what happens once that thing gets released? And if it's if it somehow works in a similar manner as to how it had, like you're going to proceed with Star Wars sequels without the creator of the franchise. You know, it's it's a fascinating what if. Nobody would have come up with the whole, no, Luke, I'm your father. You know, no, I am your father. Because yeah. George Lucas wouldn't have been around. I, I think it's it's the inverse of what we have right now. Back in 1977, Star Wars didn't exist. So the pressure coming was from having to explain what it was and defend well, what it was. And that's what I was going to say. It's kind of like, you know, having the, the thing they had to deal with. And it was, it's like trying to just... De- to describe your dream from the night before. Whereas you know, now the, the the issue is generating something new that still feels like everything has come before. You know, we have we want new Star Wars and different Star Wars, but we want it to feel like the old Star Wars. So okay, so a little tangent here then is mm-hmm. the problem, not saying there is a problem, but are do you think people's problem with this is not my Star Wars because it looks like Star Wars? So is it story? Is it the writing? Hmm, is that is that is that? I mean, people have an idea. They, all they say is that this isn't Star Wars. I mean, certainly looks like Star Wars. There are lightsabers. There's desert planets. There's the Millennium Falcon. There's you know R two D two. It's got all the things. But people is were it, saying that about the prequels. Mm-hmm. Again, is it story? But I that mean, was that was prequel, George. I mean, but that drives no, me nuts no. because if you again, if you got Bantha tracks, you knew what that story was. Mm-hmm. So I mean, um, but anyway, um, but it's it's the idea of us as an audience having a precept, cog, no, an element in our mind saying this is what this is, and anytime we receive new information that shifts and then changes it. Whether or not we're susceptible, we're accepting of this new information that other that expands that definition. I think a lot of times the hardship, for example, the prequels, as Dave says, a lot of people are like this looks nothing like Star Wars. This is you know far more CGI-ish, less you know physical special effects, and you know Yoda's jumping around like like a possessed frog, not being the goofy old character we met, and you know diff- it felt and sounded like Star Wars, but just differently enough to be as something new. So sometimes a lot of people have a hard time putting that new piece together with the old piece and making them fit. And some people are like, no, it's this, this is new information, just expands my knowledge of Star Wars. So I think the point we've been trying to hit home on this episode is just, again, I think is before you start getting out the torches and pitchforks and going after whether it's last Jedi or nice. either rise or, you know, force awakens is, you know, put, put some things in perspective. It's like, we all have, I'm going to take you to my favorite pizza place. This is the best pizza you're ever going to have. You're never going to want pizza any different than the pizza I'm going to introduce you to now. And it's, you know, well, okay. It's like, uh, my wife and I were going to Savannah for a vacation a friend of mine said oh said if you guys like new orleans you're gonna love savannah <laughs> i was like you know anytime anybody hits me with that hyperbole whether positive or negative i'm always skeptical you know it's like this is the best movie ever uh yeah i didn't see the hangover actually for like about six years because somebody said it was the funniest movie since animal house 
And I was like, no, I'm not seeing that out of principle now because <laughs> that's just, I mean, you can't, you can't say that. So again, it's kind of like, you know, this is not my Star Wars and J.J. Abrams ruined Star Wars. It's like, you know what? The first person to ruin Star Wars was actually George Lucas with the holiday special. So let's, you know, <laughs> let's all calm down. Right. I think we can all agree on that. You, you know, know, regardless but it, of how, whatever else we like or don't like, we all hate the holiday special. You know, the, uh, but, but, you know, it's again, I go back to that conversation with, with our friend Scott. It's like, you know, people who are totally anti Jar Jar Binks. And I was very restrained when we had our friends from Chewbacca on, they, you know, they started going in after, you know, Jar Jar Binks. And I was going to make my argument. I'm like, not the time or place, but it's like people who are upset about Jar Jar Binks are usually people who are our age or just a little younger. And it's like, if you, I remember my stepfather just, he doesn't understand Star Wars and they just, the characters annoy the crap out of him and C-3PO, one of them, you know, it's like, yeah, I can see that because, you know, you were, you know, in your twenties and there, it's just like, you know, this is a dumb character to me. You know, it really is. If you look at it through not, you know, youthful eyes and, you know, I think with all these movies, you have to go in with that youthful, you know, if you go in with that beaten down by life, you know, mentality, then you're not going to enjoy any of them. You know, the cynicism is just going to take over. It's like go in with, you know, that just to have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, but also think, I mean, I agree with you, but I also think it's important to recognize that thinking back to the hero with a thousand faces, the characterizations of the people, the characters that we meet, they're drawn very broadly and it's up to us to make them fit in whichever way we like uh you know whether it's the hero going on their journey or the wise old teacher that comes down the mountain and teaches the hero until he falls away you know you know there's a through line from merlin through gandalf to obi-wan kenobi Mm -hmm. you know that you can make and it fits perfectly and those characters, there's a point where they have to fall away for the hero to complete their journey. Now, if you never read a hero with a thousand faces, it doesn't matter whether you know this or not. You know it internally because you've grown up with so many stories. Characters like 3PO or Jar Jar, they're foolish. They're the jester. And they're the jester. They're the fool. But they serve a key function in the story. And yeah. that's, Jar Jar is one of those characters that, looking at Clone Wars again, I gain a better appreciation for him. I mm-hmm. recognize we probably did him a disservice because if you're right, if, if, if it had been 3PO in 1999, we would have hated him. We yep. would have had the heck out of him. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'll, I'll finish um, my spiel by just saying that, again, that Empire of Dreams, um, everybody should watch that. We really recommend that. It was the full-length documentary that originally came with the DVD set um back in the early aughts um but it's now on disney plus uh as of this recording it's on youtube um and it it just it gives you a lot of insight into these movies that you may not have seen before um the other thing the other suggestion that i got um from friend of the podcast donovan s clifton was uh star wars begins which is another documentary on vimeo and it's unsanctioned, um, but he's not profiting off of it. So it hasn't been pulled. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
uh, it's really good. There's a lot of really good uh, behind-the-scenes type information in there, and there's a lot of found footage stuff in there, too. Alternate takes, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of factoids. So um, that's another really, really good watch, too, for people. If, they, if they're like, I want to know more about how A New Hope was was kind of a disaster that, that you'll get more of those stories in those two films. And I was just going to say, because that was one of the interesting things that came out of New Hope was there was such an interest in how did this get put together? It was surprising within a, within a few months, there were books and articles on the science, the technology, how they did all the special effects, how they did the costumes. You know, a whole industry sprouted out of the fans' curiosity for more to find out how they did all the stuff they never seen. So I think yeah. it's amazing to think that as 42, 43 years onto it, there's still as much of an appetite for finding out how these movies get put together as they did back then. So yeah, so don't hate on Rise of Skywalker so much because your favorite movie was borderline crap. <laughs> I mean, real it was uh, there's a fine line, but it was there was a lot of things go one decision one way and it, you know, you know, or or again, I keep saying, remember internet wasn't around back then. If and the internet will drag everybody what drag everybody down. I'll give you a non-Star Wars example that does include the internet. 1998 there's a little movie that's having production issues. They're down in Mexico. Their sets have just been flooded. They're having a hard time putting it together. The studio's freaking out because they're not going to make the 4th of July release date. So they kick it to Christmas. And they're like, this movie's going to tank. It's going to bomb. It's going to be the death of the director's career. That little movie was Titanic. It was supposed to come out 4th of July weekend. It because they lost some of the sets, because they had so many issues putting it together, they kicked it to the holiday season of 1990. It's kind of ironic that the sets flooded. But, yeah, well, <laughs> but anyway, basically, if that, and then they kicked it to the holiday season of that year, it was 97 or 98, it must be 97. Anyway, they kicked, you know, and there were rumors back then of, oh my God, the, you know, that the movie been poured in. 97, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the, the studio poured in all this money, there's the most expensive movie ever, and it, they're going to lose it all comes out it only becomes the biggest movie of all time at this time so so we want to leave you with a little bit of news a little bit of new orleans news here um there is a and this is again we're all currently out of beer as i look around the table uh -oh. so it's kind of fitting that we talk about it but there is this came across my facebook feed um it is the star brews festival it is a Star Wars, I, I guess it's not Star Wars. They're using the font, but anyway. Um, uh, use the font, Luke. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, Star Brews Festival. It says, help us, New Orleans. You're our only hope. Um, it's uh, join us for the Star Brews Beer Festival as we transform the New Orleans Athletic Club into an intergalactic playground complete with tastings of over 20 stellar craft beers. Be sure to explore the Darth Lair of Ciders and the Rebels Beer Base. There will be multiple characters, photo ops, plenty of food, and live music from Storm Rockers and R2 DJ2. I'm not. We're not advertising this, even though I just kind of, I just read that whole thing. I just I just find it interesting that there is a beer festival that has kind of a Star Wars theme. So apparently, it is happening. Nobody's asked us to advertise this. So if it if it's if it's bad, it's not our fault. I'm just letting you know. Um, 
but it's uh, Saturday, March 28th. I mean, but, it appeals it appeals to us because it's beer and Star Wars, yeah. right? Which is kind of what this podcast is all about. Might be kind of fun to record a live podcast there. Uh, maybe not. But anyway, <laughs> maybe that might be the beer talking. But uh, until then, uh, so thanks for listening to us again. And uh, you can find us on um, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts. Uh, um, Google Podcasts and um, Podbean. Um, and Twitter, then Facebook, Facebook, Twitter. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, find us all those places and hope you're enjoying things. And uh, until then, everybody have a wonderful Mardi Gras. Um, We'll probably be off for a week after this uh, episode that you're listening to right now. Just just recuperating and uh, repenting. So, um, but until then, we'll just say, who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And uh, so take her easy. Monkey.